On this week's episode, we discuss the most important topic in 3D printers since 3D printers, which is can Frank print the Starship Enterprise? We discuss the past, present, and future of 3D printers, and if we even need them at all. All that and more on this week's Merge Conflict. After months upon months upon years upon years of always wanting a 3D printer, I went all in, Frank, about a year and a half ago. <laughs> all in? All in? So you spent $2,000, got a top-of-the-line printer, uh, read all the reviews, got the best-rated one? Well, because here's the thing with 3D printers <laughs> is that they're, like, huge and ginormous, and there's, like, all these spools and the stuff in it, and there's all these different types, and I live in a small apartment a smaller apartment Uh, i would say and at the time i was living in downtown seattle in a really really small apartment that was like 500 square feet kind of like studio style and i was into kickstarter nonstop. i'm always into kickstarter (laughs) you still are yeah it's an addiction i i see it i go up and down on these spirals i've kickstarted over like 120 some projects uh I don't know if I'm a super backer, but I, I enjoy kickstarting stuff. A lot of mm-hmm. coffee things, a lot of bicycle things, but I stumbled upon this 3D printer that's a unibody 3D printer called Tico. Tico. And Tico has a cute, adorable name. And the team was based out of New York. And it seemed really cool because I've always wanted a 3D printer. I thought I worked at a company, Seton, a long time ago where we were 3D printing our parts. So instead of actually getting our oh. parts made in China, or having them um, made locally really expensive for the prototypes, we would do them first locally. And I thought that was cool. Like, whoa, like we yeah. are printing parts and like we, we can save so much money. It was a pain in the butt and all the 3D prints like took a long time. But like eventually we crafted it and like things were made. And I was like, whoa, that's really cool. I always wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you're the same way. You're a tinkerer. You're a CNC machinist, yeah. I believe, by trade I found out today. <laughs> No, I was I was uh, uh, bragging. I was trying to humble brag, but I couldn't figure out how to make it humble, so it was really just bragging. Um, yeah, I've I've I kind of had a similar experience. I I had a job at General Motors, and they had this awesome R and D lab, and they had awesome laser lithography machines that could do anything and build anything. And at the same time, there were like a million technicians, and they all knew how to build things. So like, if you could draw it in a CAD program, and you just could convince someone in the model shop to build it for you, uh. A gorgeous thing would come out. Sometimes they'd let you watch the machines. I think I've always been interested. It's just cool to see like something created, right? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Growing up in Cleveland, my my dad and my grandfather ran a stainless steel fabrication plant, and nice. Yeah, there was tons of huge CNC machines, and there was tons of just creation of of people, um, you know, crafting metal together and doing heat Mm -hmm. treatment, and and just. It was, it was always really cool. It's nothing that I wanted to do. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to be behind a computer and code. But when I saw 3D printers, I go, oh, this is something that maybe I could do. And and I don't know what well, I would use it for, but maybe I could, <laughs> right? Maybe I could do that for something. Well, I knew immediately what I wanted. I wanted the Starship Enterprise. I just wanted <laughs> I just wanted a giant detailed model. And I kept coming up with ideas of like, how could I get a model shop person to make me an Enterprise? <laughs> and I just yeah. could never come up with a good business reason why we had to make one. I just desperately wanted it. And so like, as the years went on, as every little advancement in the uh, how easily can you make your own kind of stuff technology landscape would change. I would watch it and I'd think someday I'll have a machine that can make me an 
enterprise. <laughs> so yeah, that was always the goal. <laughs> and, 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 and I always thought too, I was like, well, you know, I'm not a 3D modeler, but I have friends that are 3D modelers. So maybe mm-hmm. someone will craft something that we can grab these. And it took a while. But what happened is I thought that like a year, year and a half ago, 3D printers were on this huge trend and MakerBot's doing great and everyone's doing mm-hmm. great and everyone's on a downward trend. But like <laughs> things were getting cheaper because at some point it would be like, you got to spend thousands of dollars. And I saw this yeah, Tico yeah. thing, right? And I was like, I need to get this thing. It was unibody. So it's just one. I think you've seen it. You saw it maybe in person, but it's one. I even Instagrammed it at one point, but it's one body, one cylindrical thing. Not too big, maybe the size of mm, a monitor or something like that. Pretty small, but like, like oval, like in it and it's unibody and, and the 3D print had like dangles from the center. So it's only one coil of, mm-hmm. of filament, but it, it just goes and it does this thing. And it intrigued me because it was only $199. Yeah. You know, that's ironic. Uh, So when all this started out, this whole kind of maker revolution around 3D printing, um, I remember this funny incident. I was in New York City visiting a friend and the friend worked at Vimeo. And at the time he introduced me to two things and both of them I thought were pretty silly. One was this website called Tumblr that he was investing in. <laughs> and it was just a silly blog. And I was like, uh, okay, you're investing in a blog. I think maybe you should talk to me before you make investments because that just sounds like a terrible idea. So I, so I really talked him through that one. But the second one was someone at his company was uh, uh, one of the founders of RepRap. It was a reproducible 3D printer. So the idea there was it was a 3D printer that could print itself. And so you could keep building and building and making more and more printers. So their whole thing was uh, 3D printers for the masses. Everyone should have them. They should be super cheap, all that stuff. But what happened in every industry is, of course, people don't really want to build their own 3D printer. They just want a 3D printer. So the MakerBots came out and all the big all the big brands came out. And so the prices shot up. The first MakerBot I bought, the Replicator 2, was $2,000. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Yep. yep. That was a weird tough sell for me. But I don't I'm not even sure exactly why I wanted it. Well, I, I take that back. I really wanted an enterprise. And I'd gotten to the point in my life where I was willing to spend two thousand dollars to have a plastic enterprise. <laughs> I think you know, worth it. I say worth it. And yep. and for me it was similar. It was like, hey, I I'm really into Kickstarter. This is the first thing that can like fit on my desk seems like really advanced it had like wi-fi built in it was this unibody it was delta based so not cartesian based uh, and, oh, and what i mean that's by that. right i couldn't remember it i thought i had seen yours but i couldn't remember it but now that you say that what a weird unique feature can you describe it a little so cartesian and you can essentially correct me if i'm wrong but kind of the traditional 3d printer goes you know up like like left and right and up and down like kind of northeast south and west forward and back so you get forward and back and up and down so it goes back and forth back like that the difference is the delta based is that there are essentially three think of it as a triangle and in each of those marks uh essentially uh, there's a a cable that's going to connect a head in the middle so there's a triangle going down almost like a triforce in a way and the printer head sits there and the printer head can go up and down but it can spiral in like S shapes. So it can do this kind of precision rail system, wow. um, which is really cool. That and it's sounds a direct really drive. hard to manufacture. 
And so anyway, so I totally got one. Long story short is that I totally got one and I did do some 3D printing. I got the Tico and it was a long rollout because Mm. I worked in many manufacturing companies. And uh, if it's your first time manufacturing things in other countries, guess what? Manufacturing is hard um, (laughs) and it's not easy. So this company was over their head um, and I feel really bad for them. (laughs) It raised $3 million dollars. That's um, a lot of money. You can do something with that, right? Well, they had to figure out how to, they only wanted 100,000. So they had to figure out how to produce 16,000. <sighs> you know, the irony is terrible, right? Like we have 3D printers just so you can make things fun and quickly and easily. But turns out the technology to make a 3D printer is old tech. And not only that is really hard. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's hard and scary, but people eventually got them. Not everybody. Trust me, <laughs> not everyone. There's lots of complaints. Uh, and I got one and it kind of worked. Uh, I, I had some success with a few 3D prints that were on there on my Instagram. And I and I kind of um, tweeted a few things out, which was really cool. But after about three or four days, I was like, what am I going to 3D print? And I was just lost. <laughs> I was I was like, what? why did I just spend $200 on this? So I sold it, sold it on eBay. <laughs> Uh, a week late <laughs> and I was like I don't need this anymore and so that was my that was my introduction was like now Tico like went out of business so uh, okay so you you had hinted at this story earlier I didn't know that you had sold it but I assumed that you sold it because you just weren't happy with the prints but you're saying you're just like I ran out of ideas I I got it and the first thing I made was you know the love um, statue monument like with the the, uh, the Jersey the, one no Philadelphia oh my god I'm losing all credentials now. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I think few, I know what you mean. It's in a few places. And, and Heather and I, whenever we find one, we'll take a photo in, in front of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to do a 3D print. I don't know what to 3D print. And they gave you a, a model. But I'm like, I'm going to, I've heard of this website. Um, and I stumbled upon it. I think I just Googled it. I said something like, how do I find 3D prints? And this thing called Thingiverse. Have you heard of this, Thingiverse? Oh, yes. I spend a lot of time on the Thingiverse. It is a treasure trove of people that are <laughs> uploading models of anything that you want. So I went on here and I was like, you know what? All the stuff that I want to print, this one's not big enough for it. <laughs> like that was oh, my problem. Oh, darn. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So to make you feel better, the I have been actually thinking about upgrading mine. And it's a bigger ask because I, I didn't spend just $200 on it. So I'm deciding, like, do I really need to upgrade it? And the one thing that's been killing me is mine's not big enough. Mm. What, what, so, do you, what do you have now? Mm, I have the MakerBot Replicator 2. And I think it's oh. something like six inches by eight or nine inches, something like that. Mm. So the, the thing about 3D printers is you're limited always by whatever physics <laughs> you're always going to have some geom- geometric uh, limitations it's going to be a height a width or a depth you're going to have a limitation on all of those and you can get ones with very big beds these days so your xy axis can be very large to the size where uh, there are people who 3d print like uh, gliders big airplane flying <laughs> shells and you can build the whole airfoil and everything right on them so you can build very large ones but mine's enclosed and small and so i feel you that is a good reason yeah and i think the problem with mine was that i mean for me it was simplistic right i didn't want to spend thousands of dollars for a 3d printer so i got this Mm -hmm. one and then of course i'm limited by the fact that it's only one color and honestly 
you're wrong issue, there. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm wrong. I, well, the, the issue that I actually had more than it being one color was it had a hard time doing really intricate yeah. um, things. So, I mean, it, I think if everything was completely fl- flat, like after I did the love one, that was pretty complex. But then I tried to do like a monkey face, like a monkey mm-hmm. keychain, And it was just like, I don't know. I, I'm like, yeah. Just fall, fell down. I tried to do the space needle. I was like, oh, this will be kind of cool. Like, <laughs> these are the random things. This is what you 3D print. You don't, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to 3D print. So I was like, I'm just going to print something cool. And uh, those all took forever and fell yeah. apart. And the problem is, you don't know until five hours later that everything is terrible. So you do it overnight. So. So there's a learning curve and part of the learning curve is learning what these things are actually capable of. <laughs> and so very quickly, uh, there's basically two types of files on Thingiverse. I, I want to talk about Thingiverse forever, but I'm just going to hint at it right now. There are people who create files and upload them there that are good files to 3D print. They've been tested. People will comment. They'll say, I printed these. It works great. And then there are just random 3D files that people just toss up there. And they're like, well, I don't know if it prints because I don't know. Like um, the biggest problem you always run into are hangovers. So anytime you have like a structure on a top and there's nothing beneath it, 3D printers have a hard time with those. And the Space Needle sounds terrible. You know what else is terrible for that? The Starship Enterprise. Oh, there's I tons. bet. I, mm-hmm. I bet there's a bunch of hangovers and intricate, <laughs> really skinny parts to it, too. So the first time I got my super expensive 3D printer, I'm like, finally, finally, I'm going to 3D print an Enterprise. And it was terrible. It came out so bad, dude. So oh, I, I get oh. you. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the thing what happened is I I kind of feel bad that I sold it because I wanted to get into it. But... I also thought, like, is this traditional way of 3D printing, is this the future? Like, I I then saw one on Kickstarter, of course, where you could take your cell phone and it would use light to essentially, like, shake stuff (laughs) up or whatever. And then the one that we had at Seton was, like, this one that dangled from the ceiling. Like, there was so many different parts. And I go, maybe I just got a, you know, wrong design. Maybe maybe I should try again. Mm -hmm. But then I just haven't because I don't have the space. That's kind of been my problem. Yeah. Uh, and and when you do get bigger beds, obviously they take up more and more room. It's all trade offs. If you have a garage, I think they go really well in the garage. <laughs> yeah, I, I was surprised. I will say to your point on Thingiverse is that yeah, I think that after reading some of the reviews and people can give feedback on the models, and we'll put this in the show notes. Um, you can kind of tell if they're good or bad prints, or, or actually yeah. just look at their complexity, you know, in general, and look for those things <laughs> like you were saying. You get kind of an expert of these bad prints. Um, but I think that I was, what I was surprised of was how easy it was. Like literally the software with the Tico was pretty good. You just uploaded a file and you could resize it and scale it and position it. Mm-hmm. And like, it just kind of printed. And yeah. that was, like that was kind of, that was the cool <laughs> moment. Like when something did work, I was yeah. like, holy crap, like that totally actually worked. I was amazed. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the working example when you're first doing electronics is do you get the LED to blink? And, you know, it's a big moment when you first get that to happen. And then I, for, for me, for the 3D printer, I, the very first thing I printed was so conservative. I'm like, just print me a circle. I just want to see a circle. <laughs> and so it just, I, I wanted a quarter size thing. So I went to a three uh, CAD 
piece of software, modeled a whole cylinder. It was very difficult. <laughs> Told it to print it, and it actually did it. And that was my blinking LED moment. I'm like, this thing didn't exist, and now it does exist. And I need to ponder this for a while. In fact, I went, <laughs> I went to a friend of mine and asked him a, a very important question. Seemed to me at the time. It still kind of makes me wonder. I'm like, does something lose its thisness when you see it built up the way? 3D printer builds it up because when you watch these things, they're just putting down these thin layers over and over and over again. And I wonder, like, so I would give them some, like, is this a, a, a cylinder or is this many layers of a piece of plastic? Like, I felt like it was so weird to see it transformed and actually made into something. If you get a really good one and you can fine tune all these different settings, because so, so how I always, how I understand how a 3D printer works is that it's continuously feeding this plastic type material there's different materials that are out there yeah and it is you know heating it up and melting and doing these fine strips as close to whatever the model is and those layers compacted together i mean they're so close to each other it's mm -hmm. crazy because the plastic heats and then hardens i assume extremely fast yeah. right and it, it's yeah. done so it, as soon as it is laid down it's it's compact so you can get super tight grips mm -hmm. inside of there that's how a 3d printer works that's my imagination of it at least no you you, you totally nailed it it's uh for those who have done arts and crafts in the past it's a hot glue gun just <laughs> mechanized <laughs> it's a robotized hot glue gun <laughs> yes yes it's really no different I, i've made a lot of crafts <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all the same but um going to the thing reverse we've talked a lot about um details and the things it can't do so uh we mentioned overhangs and all that but Something that kind of inspires me the most about Thingiverse is the people who have really internalized those limitations, but also saw the potentials in what this thing is actually good at doing, what they're good at printing. And they've been able to make some pretty amazing things. Like, I'm interested in the mechanized stuff, the gears and like the steampunky kind of things that you can build now with these. Yeah, I think that that what happened is why I may be jelly and why I wanted to talk about 3d printing is that Scott Hanselman has been tweeting nonstop and Instagramming <laughs> ever since he got to Nintendo switch of all these 3d oh, printing switch talk. switch talk. Yeah. Switch. He's been switching around and, uh, he has been tweeting like all these photos of all these 3d printed stuff, like stands and cases and these really cool joy con grips and all this stuff that he's made. And, mm. I said, Frank, this was about two weeks ago. I said, Frank, here's this thing averse. It's a stand. It has movable parts, which one blows my <laughs> mind. How can a 3D printed thing have movable parts like gears? Like you're yeah. saying, how does that even work? Yeah. Print it for me. And you did. Yeah. Uh. I, I was a little worried. <laughs> I, I'm not very good at the high precision prints. And you sent me this video from Scott Hanselman and he had produced this thing that had, I don't know. It looked like a real part. Like it looked like something he bought from the store. And you're like, yeah, he 3D printed that. And I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> my skills aren't quite there. My printer's not quite up to the task. But I'm like, well, whatever. I'll give it a shot. We'll see how it turns out. And the design you sent me, it's on Thingiverse. Um, it was ingenious. It, it was this really small, um, well, what was it? It was a rectangle, maybe a quarter of an inch high. But inside of there, they fit multiple uh, axles and pivot points. And the thing folds and it bends upon itself. But it did it all in one 3D print that took just like two hours. It was pretty awesome, pretty remarkable. 
it's it's crazy and i finally got my my hands on it when i met up with you last week and i was like holy crap like it actually like moves and things happen like, it's not just one movable part like there's like eight to ten different multiple parts yeah. on it it's very impressive like you could yeah. you could legitimately sell this thing like that's how that's how good uh, i I, I disagree there I, so i <laughs> this goes back to does it existness you know <laughs> like is this thing just a hot glue guns output or is this actually a thing i just can't get over it like um so it's pretty good, but like the axles, they make a lot of creaky noises when you use them. They're not very smooth. It doesn't yeah. fold perfectly flat, but it's getting there. It's getting there. I mean, it's not necessarily like, oh, I went to the store and I bought this thing, but it's pretty good for being printed at home. Now, I yeah. do want to talk about, I do want to talk about like your best. Like This is the first thing that's printed off. And I was like blown away. But I want to talk about some of the things maybe you've printed or had someone printed for you that gets blown away and kind of the future of 3D printing mm -hmm. and is it going to be worth it? But before we go any further, we need to thank our amazing sponsor this week of Merge Conflict, Sync Fusion. You know, Sync Fusion, they continue to offer the largest set of tools for any developer on the market, whether you're a Xamarin developer, .NET, ASP.NET, JavaScript, they offer everything that you need from charts and graphs and list views and super highly optimized controls. They ensure that all of their components are designed and built for the best possible performance on each platform. I love it. So if you're getting iOS, you get iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, web, anything. They're super highly optimized. The thing that's amazing about Syncfusion is they have this amazing community license. It includes their entire suite of 850 plus components and enterprise products, including big data, reporting, dashboards. They have all this PDF and Word document support all built in. So if you need a you know, PDF, boom, right there. Editing, it's all built in cross-platform. What's really cool is you can just head to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn about all of their essential studios and specifically essential studio for Xamarin with all of their cross-platform controls. That's syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. Thanks, Syncfusion. Yeah, thanks, Syncfusion. Always love them so much. That's why people see they build the controls, Thingiverse, they supply the 3D prints, so I don't have to. Yeah, we put things together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we work at a higher level. <laughs> Don't get your feet all dirty down in the mucky muck. Use the high level approach. <laughs> exactly. So you, when you printed this, I think you were kind of amazed. But I mean, did you ever get your Starship Enterprise printed? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of lot of detailed lessons here. So I learned the trick of three D printers, and what you do is you chop up the model into pieces. And if you print it out in pieces, you can, and you're strategic, you can get rid of all the overhangs, you can enlarge it a little bit so you get the finer detail out of the 3D print. The only problem is at the end, you got to glue it all together so it looks terrible and everything's misaligned because I'm, ter I'm terrible putting models together. That's why I need a machine to do it for me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you, you see some people when they do this, um, they're smarter and they'll put actual like latches on the parts so that like everything clips together, like really fancy like. So this is this is the difference, you know, between putting a lot of time into something or not. But no, I instead I got really hung up on 3D CAD software and got distracted. So did you get into then with the 3D CAD software making these creations? Is that, is that what's yeah. happening now? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I've always been interested in uh, CAD software. 
I just love writing it. It's one of the reasons um, I got into CNC and machining and that kind of stuff. I've always just been in love with the software. I started out uh, as a kid before I could program using a piece of software called PavRay. It's a ray tracer. Have you ever heard of it by any chance? I have not, no. Pav, P-O-V. Yeah, it's an old classic, and it was just a ray tracer, and you could learn this little programming language, and you could make 3D scenes, and it would render them, and it would take forever. You had to be very patient. And um, it just kind of inspired me to just love 3D modeling and all that stuff, so I've always been really into it. But the problem with the 3D printer is that we, we really there's uh, so many options these days for software to use. Did you ever learn any CAD softwares? So as far as CAD goes, what were we using at Seton? I want to say we were using Rhino 3D. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're here in Seattle. Local in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And we were using something else. I remember they were using Rhino, though. That's about the only one that I... As far as as far as made for that, like in in college, I did like three three D Studio Max, which is like three D mm-hmm. modeling, which is very different yeah. than CAD modeling. Yeah. But uh, oh, AutoCAD, right? Everyone loves a little yeah. AutoCAD. Um, you learned it? Uh, no, we integrated with it when I worked uh. at Canon. I did <laughs> oh, not cool. do any right. of it, but I didn't do any of the work, right? So yeah. my buddy um, Yale did all of our modeling and things like that because mm-hmm. he was our artist. So I had no, I have no idea at all i mean i've done sketch which is like vector based sketch oh sketch okay well google has a pretty nice piece of software called sketch up and that's oh i've played with that yeah and that's that's pretty good there's a bunch of fields of um 3d modeling you kind of said it the old division was there's 3D modeling for the visual arts. So that includes like games and my renderer, that kind of stuff. And then there's CAD, like engineer CAD. You're spending a lot of money for the software and you're going to have to take a course on it because no one can figure out how to draw a circle in it. You know, it takes weeks to figure out how to draw a circle. And I love all these kinds of softwares, but I actually learned CAD versus uh, 3D modeling. So I'm not really good at the uh 3ds max or what's the other one maya maya yeah i could make um a, a tea, tea kettle you can do a tea, tea kettle? kettle or do you uh, mean import a tea kettle i can import a tea kettle i can hey, add hey, a hey. i can <laughs> composition add, higher level <laughs> i can add a texture to that thing so so did you use autodesk then essentially so cad computer aided design and drafting cad yeah <laughs> the, the bad kind yeah um I, i've used them all i guess like this is really a hobby of mine and so if you've seen a piece of 3d software out there chances are i've tried it and have formed opinions about it and that kind of stuff Uh, i don't really like any of them to be thoroughly honest i kind of hate them all um that's because i've gotten used to 2d drawing apps that are so good like sketch you brought it up sketch is awesome uh it's it's illustrator but with a easy to use and easy to learn you user interface and to go from like sketch to like autocad it's the most painful thing on the planet yeah so whatever so i really keep hitting roadblocks you know what i keep doing i keep writing cad software i've written literally 27 versions of this piece of software 27 and these aren't small versions (laughs) 
for iPad or for for Mac or what do you everything? Rocking? You name oh. it. It started out on Windows. I've written oh, it for the God. iPad. I love this one for the iPad. You can just draw a two D object and then it turns it into three D and then you can oh, paint cool. on it in three D and add legs to horses and it's really cute and I love it. And I've done really scientific-y ones where you can <laughs> visualize, well, CAD, basically. It's it's terrible. Um, but I keep getting hung up on it just because I hate all the software. Well, what it's probably a good way to learn it, right? By actually building or tr- attempting to build. Yeah. It's just counterproductive because anytime someone says, hey, could you 3D print this? I'm like, yes, I'll have to write a new piece of software for that. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. Well, you, what I'm excited about is maybe these this new creator update for Windows. I don't know if you're a Windows person at all, but yeah, new creators updates coming out and Windows 10 already had 3D printing software built into it mm-hmm. somehow. And then there's a new 3D paint. So I'm wondering if I can just go into paint like 3D yeah. and I can just like create smiley faces and like I'm painting inside of MS Paint and then like, boom, I could I could send that file to you. So I haven't used it, but I watched the heck out of that demo video and it looks pretty snazzy. It's yeah. not what I want. <laughs> it's not yeah. going to fulfill my needs. But wow, I think they did an excellent job on it. Uh, I, I think it's going to do all the quick tasks that you want to be able to do on a 3D printer easily and quickly. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. I yeah, have. I think... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to suggest um, another piece of software, but I wanted to make sure you got to praise paint. Did you get to use it at all? I haven't yet. You know, Uh, I could be on the fast ring. I could change my Windows machine. By the time this is out, I think it's actually going to be out. But I I don't like to, you know, I demo all the time. I don't like to mess around with my software. Oh, okay. So you're really just waiting for Windows to be a big upgrade. I gotcha. I thought it was out already, to be honest. No wonder no one's using it. You know, Microsoft, they like to announce things about a year and a half early. So, <laughs> Well, I want to give a shout out to uh, the one, the piece of software that I found the most tolerable so far uh, is called OpenSCAD. And it's kind of terrible because you actually make objects by programming in a language. So you have to learn their little programming language, but it's declarative. It's actually pretty simple. Like a box is just called a box and it's, you can make things. But what I found was I could actually code up 3D objects much faster than I could model them in CAD software, even though I know how to use tons of CAD software. It was it turns out like our programming skill really translates really well. And it becomes a very, I think it's the, the most superior way to create 3D models at this point is just kind of coding them. And if you need like multiple spheres, you put a for loop. And if you need something to be bigger or smaller, you write a function and then you can instantiate multiples of it in different places. And it's just, I think, a really great way to do it. Well, it's pretty genius actually. And you had me thinking, because you know Urho Sharp, which is like that 3D, 2D mm-hmm. game engine, but also data visualization. I mean, you could basically do all that stuff in it, like all the, I, mean, I don't know, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. But yeah so this, you is, this is that barrier between the visual arts and the CAD. The big problem, the reason people use CAD is because you have to maintain solid objects, <laughs> which sounds easy, but um, you'd be surprised in the things that you're allowed to get away with in 3D engines and things like that, where objects aren't 100% solid, or the way that you compose them together um, creates problems. And so 
in general, yes, you're right, but you still have to write an exporter, something that can handle all the crazy edge cases. Yeah, that makes sense. And to me, the the problem that I have is that I'm I'm kind of a creator when it comes to mobile apps, but I'm not a creator for physical or art things. Like <laughs> that is not, not true. I, I've seen I'm your apartment. Not, <laughs> no, I'm I'm not that Pachinko? good. Pachinko. <laughs> yeah, I well, you know, I, I do what I can, but you know, I just don't think that the problem with me when creating 3D models is I think I am always going to have to kind of rely on others to kind of do that yeah. stuff. So I think that was my problem that I had. So like when for me, right? So when I think of the future of James and 3D printers and why I probably mm-hmm. won't, won't have one again is one because <laughs> you have one and you can do my 3D prints. Done. But also that I'm not a creator. If I was a creator, I am a creator of some, but if I was a creator that like, I'm like, Oh, I have this great idea. I want to, you know, put this monkey in a little house. And like, now it has a house. I'm going to design that house and then print it. Or, you know, I have this uh, raspberry pie and I'm going to make this thing around it. Like I could, you know, do that. But my focus seems to be on mobile apps. So for me, I think yeah. that, I think you know, Heather was like, Oh, I can't believe you're selling it. You just got it. You know, you're sick. So excited about it. And I go, you know what? I really don't think I'm going to use it. And I think yeah. if I'm going to buy another 3D printer, it's going to be um, the pancake bot, which will do 3D prints of pancakes. I think that would be the way to go. <laughs> that's that's all that's all I need. That's all I want. 3D printed pancakes, huh? <laughs> 3D printed pancakes. It's got so, free software um, to use. Uh, Prints your pancakes, you can eat them. I love it. <laughs> I don't think you're looking for me to pick you up, but I do want to say like... Those feelings are kind of normal. I've had this printer forever, and it's mostly off. 99% of the time, it's off. And it's usually off because making objects is hard. Like, um, actually sitting down in all this software, it's it's tough work, even if you know yeah. it really well. And so, you got to put time away. You got to model it. You got to do test prints. You got to do all this stuff. So, hard things how often do you do hard things you don't relax by 3d printing it's not like oh this is a relaxing hobby this is a hobby you gotta work at unfortunately well maybe one day maybe one day we'll get there i thought it was a time maybe another 10 years from now but hopefully we'll Uh, be printing 3d printing all of our meals and salad and burgers and waffles Mm. i think we're pretty close like think of versus getting there right so uh we'll call this first first generation so three more generations and you'll three be able to print generations. anything off of thingiverse <laughs> i like that yeah well i've oh been waiting goodness. i've been waiting for my i've been waiting for like the technology to es- escalate and get so much better but the fact is it's just moving kind of slowly and iteratively it, you know it's moving along but it's slow so it's going to be a yeah. little while We'll come back with a uh, mer- merge conflict uh, episode 400 when we when awesome. we think technology is there and then get back to it. <laughs> no, but, I'll say the same thing. Give it 10 more years. <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. I saw some really cool demos of some different types of technology instead of these standard feeders mm-hmm. that are out there. And I go, ooh, maybe this will be you know, faster. That's the thing is I think 3D printers, if I look at the future, if I was to give my 30 second pitch of where 3D printers need to go for me is connected, like things need to be, you know, connected via Bluetooth, via apps, mm-hmm. via my web connection, and they need to be fast. They need, they can't yeah. take hours or days for small <laughs> prints or large prints. They need to be fast. And I, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's that, um, you know, it, it's that conundrum because as things get more complex, well, things may take more time, but it's hopefully they can converge on that technology and something will break through. I don't know what the breakthrough will be. It's not pancakes, but maybe <laughs> it's going to be something else that will break through and think about 3D printing differently. That's kind of like my hope. 
I I think it's a, a it's a it's a hope that'll get fulfilled because the big we have examples in industry of industrial uh, rapid prototyping machines that can do very intricate, very large parts very quickly. So it's really just a matter of time of scaling the technology down and the economics down to where people can buy them. So I think we have a lot of headroom left to explore of just bringing the current state of the art down down to us consumers. And then uh, after that, we'll see where things go. Yeah. Cool. 3D printing all day. You want to take a little listener feedback? Oh, I've been looking forward to this the whole episode. Yes. Okay, let's do it. We always like to end on it, but Frank always wants to start on it, but I'm all about ending on it. So <laughs> we had a few emails. This is the first one I'm going to go through, which is Mike, uh, Mike on Twitter, uh, underscore Mickey, M-I-K-I-E underscore on Twitter, uh, wrote in via mergeconflict.fm, our email address. And he says, hey guys, love the podcast. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. Had a question about code structure, a kind of project structure when we're talking about web backends, front ends, mobile applications, shared stuff. Mm. What makes the most sense? How should I structure my solution when it comes to mobile and API and websites? How do you do that? Is there a good way to share code? And he wrote this big log. I had this web backend with like dot data, dot service, dot web API, and then I have a web front end with dot service, dot web, and then I have a mobile app with dot iOS, dot Android, dot service, and then a common shared models. Um, how would you tackle this there, Frank? Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so he's talking about a pretty big thing here. He's got a web front end, a web back end, mobile device. Uh, so three things, right? I think your mm-hmm. goal here is, uh, yes, maximize sharing. So um, on the mobile part, you break out a common part that's common to all the mobiles on the web uh, the back end, the front end, the mobile, they can all probably share some kind of data model. So I'd have some shared kind of project for that. And then the back end and the front end, well, you know, web front ends, that's going to be mostly uh, JavaScript talking to an API access on the back end if you do it in the modern style. And so I guess I'd keep it pretty simple like that. Pull out the common part that all three can share, split the mobile, of course, as best you can, and eh, deal with the web. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the web's a little tricky. You could use a .NET standard library, which is probably the easiest thing if you're doing ASP.NET Core or even ASP.NET applications. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a .NET standard library, then all your models can go in there. You could use some conditional compilation of some sort to do like a mobile or slash, you know, shared model type thing. Um, I think you could get away with some of your code share. Someone asked me this recently and they had, how how can I leverage more code sharing? And I said, well... Think about your application as if you have a website and a mobile app that do similar things. Let's say they're calculating data, they're they're doing statistical analysis. Like, well, all that logic could be shared too. So, your common you have common models, but you may also have common business logic. For sure. I think the tricky part is if you're not doing stuff in C sharp on your website, right? And it's all just JavaScript, then you're not really sharing anything. But mm, yep, that's maybe. true. You can compile from C Sharp to JavaScript. I probably shouldn't mention that because maybe you shouldn't do that in production, but I just couldn't resist. I had to say it. But yeah, there there is a potential to go all the way. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't, I usually have what what, what, uh, Mike described here, which I have a .com and he said .service, but really that's my models, my view models. And if I'm using Xamarin Forms and I'm really being tried and true, I would have a um, .core, which I always call a .core, but also .ui, and then iOS and Android. So I separate out my business logic there. So it's testable. That's that's how I would do it. But not, I don't need, I've seen some projects with just like tons upon tons of, you know, 
libraries and depending on your application you may have you know sub modules and things being referenced from other apps so that's okay too yeah i try to only create projects when i have to <laughs> um when when there's an abstraction layer to be crossed that's when you create a project but um up till then i try to keep it minimal as minimal as i can in project number all right last one here danny pease I thought it was Danny Please at first. Danny Please, uh, Danny Pease at Danny Pease on Twitter. Right, wrote in again via our website, mergeconflict.fm. You can also leave comments on the episodes. Um, question about architecture. You should, one, do a whole episode what? on it. <laughs> but uh, he says he's been developing applications for a couple of years. Also was a web developer. Quick question just around different patterns and practices in regards to best architecture, scalability, flexibility, maintainability, testability, loosely coupled. Should we just use MVVM for anything? What about request response, command, CQRS? Should we use a repository pattern, unit of work, best DI library? So much to cover. So many DI libraries to choose from. (laughs) What do you think is best for applications? I always say use what's best for you, whatever you love now. Whatever you've used in the past is probably fine. The thing to focus on with an application is the user interface first. So whatever enables you to rapidly build UIs, rapidly change them, keep things modular, keep things encapsulated, whichever library pattern fulfills that need best for you and your dev team, use that. Yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big DI person anymore. I don't really nah. like to anymore. Were you? Is this mm. a secret? <laughs> well, so way back in the day, I was, you know, I was when I worked at Canon. All the DI stuff was set up for me, so I had to follow ah, these practices. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, if you love DI, use some DI. That's dependency injection. I don't like dependency injection because I don't like magic in repository pattern kind of feels outdated to me. That's just me personally. Um, I used to do that with my database. I'm an interface-based programming first. Like when I say I don't like dependency injection, I still love interface-based programming. That's how I do it. So I do a lot of interface. So if I'm having services, like my Meetup Manager app has an interface for the database. It has an interface for the backend services. It may have interface for something else. So I can swap those components in and out easily. That's how I do it. And I use MVVM everywhere else for my, my UI, you know, binding i guess yeah it's good uh i'm not an interface programmer like you i think if i want to swap it out there's this neat trick of giving it the same name and now look it's been swapped out (laughs) so i i I generally find that people are generally kind of over engineering things a bit they're trying to predict the future and i my whole architecture if you could say is to be as modular as possible so i can deconstruct it and reconstruct it in different forms as possible if you can do that with dependency injection, go for it. All the more power to you. But for me personally, I'd like to keep it a little more agile and easy to change. Yeah, I think uh, you and I were working on a project and and I said, well, what, what can I use this dependency thing? Can I do this thing? And then you yelled at me and you're like, just new one up. Gosh darn it, just new one up. No, I don't want to just new one up. I'm just going to do something. Dependency injection is a great way to obfuscate code. You never know who's creating which object. You don't know which one's actually fulfilling any of your requests. You you programmed against an interface, and that's cool. You totally used it as a black box. But when something fails, you better have some good error logging. (laughs) Otherwise, it's going to be a pain. Just new it up. That's funny. Just create new. It's fine. Uh, 
It's okay. I, I don't know if Danny, we answered your question at all, but we can probably do a full episode one <laughs> yeah, time easily. on this. I'm sure. <laughs> Anyways, if you have questions, you can email us yourself at mergeconflict.fm. You can tweet at us at mergeconflict.fm. And anywhere else you can find us, you can subscribe on all of your favorite podcast sites. Uh, you can, and apps, and you can leave us a review on iTunes. We would love you forever. I think that's about it for me, Frank. How about you? Uh, I enjoyed this one. Finally got to talk about 3D printing. 3D Sound. printing. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, until next time, this is Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.